Good morning. Let's pray before we get started. Father, I thank you for another beautiful day. <clears throat> I thank you for each and every heart that's here today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through my words, through uh, whatever means that you choose today to touch someone. So we just ask you to bless this time and we offer it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have this, I guess, sort of a bad tendency to speak um, using a lot of acronyms. And, uh, you know, like I'll just throw around like SOCOM instead of saying School of Kingdom Ministry or one that used to drive several people crazy was I would talk about STVU and, and my wife would look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, that's School of Theology at Virginia Union, which is where I attended. So I would, you know, do things like that. Now, if you asked my wife, she can probably think of others because she absolutely hates that I do this. Um, and honestly, it's probably not really her fault. I mean, it's mine. I just, you know, I think I know what they mean, so everyone ought to know what they mean, right? Um, and, I, you know, part of it, I guess I could blame on a career in information technology, which is just like the holy grail of acronyms. Um, you know, if you like them, that's, you can talk in acronyms all day long. Um, so anyway, it's, I was trying to think of what this kind of related to, and in some instances, I think it relates to for parents trying to understand what their kids' text messages say. So something like that. Now, I'm sure someone can figure out what that says, but I think laugh out loud was great to see you, but oh my God, got to go. Talk to you later. How'd I do? Is that pretty close? All right. Well, you know, the same sort of thing like this can happen in churches if we're not careful. Uh, you know, we lapse into a lingo that, you know, longtime believers kind of get or maybe uh, only people that are part of that church, you know, really understand. Um, but if you were a visitor or a new person coming in, you wouldn't have a clue what anybody's talking about. And, and one of my favorite ones is this one, washed in the blood. Now, very biblical, very theologically sound. It's not bad or wrong to say it. But if you say that to someone who's never heard it before, who's looking for a church, and they come in, they are going to run screaming for the door <laughs> because they think they've just gotten involved with some sort of a cult that has, like, blood baths or something like that. So, you know, you have to be careful with, with how, you, how and when, really, you say things like that, Right? especially if you've got new believers or uh, just visitors that are present. And uh, within the vineyard movement, we have some of those things. Uh, and so what today is really about in large measure is trying to clear up some confusion over one in particular. And it's do, do the stuff or doing the stuff. So if you've been around the vineyard before, you would have heard people say this. Um, if you haven't and you've heard someone say it, you don't know what the heck it means, that's what we're going to try and talk about today. 
So um, we're just going to unpack it a little bit, kind of explore sort of the history behind it, where it came from, and w- as well as the biblical roots that are behind it, uh, and, and maybe have some fun too. And so I was thinking about, okay, how best to sort of look at this, and I thought, well, maybe taking sort of a journalistic approach. You know, you're examining a subject, and so you know, when I took journalism class in college, you know, they focus on the who, what, when, where, why, and how. I mean, that's the whole... Um, you know, you, if you're writing a lead paragraph for a story, that's what you need to get in there. At least that's the way I was taught. So, to start with, who said it? Well, the who that said it is uh, it's attributed to John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. So let me give you a little history about John. You know, because I'm, I know some of you are new, some of you have maybe even been going here a while and you still would have no idea who John is. So I think a little history is important. Excuse me, is important. Now, John's influence profoundly shaped the, the theology and practice of vineyard churches really from the, uh, er, his earliest days in the movement <clears throat> until he passed away uh, in November of 1997. He had beaten cancer, <clears throat> then he fell and ended up with a brain hemorrhage, and it was the brain hemorrhage that that, that actually did him in. Now, you would think that someone who founded an entire movement like this would be close to sainthood, right? Well, when John was actually called by God into this, Christianity Today uh, magazine later described him as a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who was converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. And that's the honest-to-God's truth. Um, So doesn't that just sound exactly like who God would choose to do something like this, right? You know, no, um, no theological credentials whatsoever, just someone who was seeking God and really trying to learn, and God plucks that person out. Well, it was a pretty good decision, actually, because in John's first decade as a Christian, he literally led hundreds of people to Christ. Hundreds. And at one point in 1970, he was leading 11 Bible studies a week. And more than 500 people were involved in those various Bible studies. And so John was so fruitful as this evangelical pastor, that he was eventually asked to join the faculty of Fuller uh, Theological Seminary, and he was leading the Charles E. Fuller Institute of Evangelism and Church Growth. And later on, he became an adjunct professor uh, at the seminary, and uh, his classes actually set attendance records at the seminary. They were called... um, signs and wonders in evangelism. And so eventually he did that for several years and in 77 he entered a pastoral ministry and he planted a Calvary Chapel. Okay, and he did that in Yorba Linda, California. And uh, so it was really through this time that John's whole uh, evangelical paradigm and his understanding of the ministry of the church really began to grow and, sh- and, and be shaped and, and formed. <clears throat> and so, you know, he talked to some of the, the biggest uh, missiologists at that time at Fuller, which were Donald McGavran and Peter Wagner. 
And he also had contact with a lot of very seasoned missionaries who would come through and have the chance to talk to them. And they were the ones who were giving him this credible evidence for combining evangelism with healing and prophecy, essentially the signs and wonders of the gospel. Well, so he had the experience, but then he was like, okay, well, I don't, you know, I don't know that I have the theological underpinnings for this. Well, it was at that point that he read a book that was written by another Fuller theologian named George Eldon Ladd, and it was called The Theology of the Kingdom. And it was in that book that John actually found the connection. And it was through this idea of the kingdom of God and the advancing kingdom of God that Jesus brought when he came to earth. And so it was at that point that the connection was made. So he had the experience and he had the biblical understanding. And so it was at that point, he just became more and more convinced that uh, the God desired to be active throughout the world in or really through these biblical gifts. And so he began to teach this to his church and to train them. Uh, and really, be, ha, they all started to really press into this, this whole idea. And so essentially, he began to do the stuff of the Bible. And, and it was really things that before that he had only read about. Now, John and his congregation, and at this point, it was made up mostly of former Quakers. They really started to, to, to seek God through intimate worship. And they, as they did that, they really experienced this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And they had significant renewal in the gifts, as well as conversion growth. You know, so they grew the way churches are supposed to grow, not because one person brings their membership from someplace else, and decides you're the flavor of the month and you're going to worship here for a while until something happens and I don't like this place anymore, then I'll go somewhere else. It was people that actually, you know, got to know Jesus and understand the Christian faith in that church, right? And so that they just it just grew from there uh, with all the excitement that sort of goes along with someone who's a new believer. And, uh, you know, they want to go out and they want to tell people and so they all were you know, sort of caught up in that. And uh, however, a little bit of a hiccup in all of this, because they were emphasizing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, this was making some of the people within the Calvary Chapel community a little uncomfortable. And so there was an amiable split. Everybody remained friends. They just said, hey, you guys want to go do that? You guys go on off and do that. And there were... I think about 40 churches approximately that left and, and kind of went with John to do this. And so it was in 82 that John left Calvary Chapels and started, uh, became part of the Vineyard. And uh, you know, from that time until now, the Vineyard movement has grown to include over 1,500 churches, uh, both in the U.S. and uh, internationally. And what I really loved about John was that throughout all of this, all of these things that happened, all these wonderful, you know, the, the growth and, and the way God was using him, he was always humble. He always referred to himself as just a fat man from Missouri trying to get to heaven. <laughs> that's what, that was his self-description, right? And so, so that's John. That's just a little bit about John. And so... 
the, the next thing really is this idea of, well, you know, what does it mean when we say doing the stuff? And so I've got a, um, you probably have some indication by now that it's this idea of doing the stuff that's in the Bible, right? That, that Jesus did and the disciples did and so forth. But I thought probably the best way uh, for you to understand this is to actually hear it in John's own words. And so this is a video that I think some of you have seen, but I don't think most have. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that one? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm. You know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, <laughs> isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Did he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it.
But I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. So that was John. That was actually John's voice. More or less explaining where the phrase came from. And I mean, that was, you know, as he tells the story in some other instances, he actually talks about going up to someone after a church service and saying, well, when are we going to do the stuff? And the guy looks at him like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, the stuff in the Bible. It's like, oh, we don't do that stuff. So hence the, the origin really of the phrase. So that's where it came from. But where does the Bible talk about it? And so that's kind of the where aspect of this. Well, I think, first of all, in all of the Gospels, there's clear evidence of Jesus coming, talking about the kingdom of God. All right, you'll hear in a variety of uh, ways him say that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is in the future. And the interesting thing, and we don't have enough time to go into all this now, but the thing that that really is important within vineyard theology is the fact that all of those things have to coexist, right? You can't pick one and say the kingdom is here and ignore the verses that say the kingdom is in the future, right? So you, and that's why, that's why George Ladd's theology was so important because it tied all of this together, this idea that the kingdom comes in part when Jesus came and began to introduce it. It won't come in full until he comes back. And that's when his kingdom will be fully here. But in those times in between, we only have a partial glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. So, we have the, the evidence from the Gospels about all of this aspect of, of the kingdom. And in fact, um, if you read through them, it's mentioned about 120 times in the four Gospels. Some ask the kingdom is talked about. Um, <clears throat> you'll read, in different authors use different terms. It's called the kingdom of God in some Gospels and the kingdom of heaven. In others, it's the same kingdom. They're talking about the same thing. They've just used different terms to describe it. In, in Luke eleven twenty, just as a one example, he said, Jesus says, but if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. So he's introducing the fact and he's tying together what he's doing, the stuff, with the kingdom of God. So you've, made, you've got that connection that's made. Then next, if we were to to kind of go through, this is just a list that I came up with. Someone else might come up with a a more thorough list. But we would look at Luke 10, 1 through 9. This is when Jesus sent out the 72. So let me read that passage for you. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Fields. And then jump into verse 8. 
If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. So there's the kingdom of God instead of kingdom of heaven. But uh, at any rate, so this is where this it comes after he sends the 12 out, right? Because initially he sent the 12 out and he sent them only to the Jews. And they came back and reported what happened. Well, this is a later event where he actually sends 72 of his followers out and he sends them out to all. And so we have that evidence, uh, a little bit more evidence of what the stuff that we're all supposed to be doing is. So then we jump down to Mark 16, uh, verses 15 through 18. And this is the commissioning that Jesus gives uh, his disciples when he was just about to leave the earth. And he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. All right, I know what you're all thinking. And I'm just gonna admit to you, I have no idea what the whole thing about the snakes is. You know, I know there's some churches in some rural areas that tend to mess with snakes and this will never be one of them. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of snakes. My wife is even less so. So um, it would, if I ever chose to do that, it would be the end of a marriage. So that's, we're probably not going there. Um, so at any way, I honestly don't know, you know, why that's in there, what, you know, I've never taken the time to really dig into that, you know, with any depth to see, you know, what, if that's contextually something that was relevant at that time. But regardless, I mean, it's there, and I'm not going to take the verse out just because I don't like it. You know, we can't do that. You know, we, we just can't. It's the same thing with all those references to the kingdom being all these different things. We can't just take out the stuff we don't like. You know, it's in there for a reason. We just don't always know what the reason is. So then again, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says this. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And I am sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Key phrase here, I think, is obey all commands. Obey all the commands I have given you. Okay, so that doesn't really leave us any wiggle room as far as, well, I kind of like these commands, but I don't care so much for those. No, it doesn't say that. It says all. It's a pretty, pretty inclusive word. And then the next example was what I mentioned last week, and it's actually what sort of drove me into this message because this really resonated with me. And it's from the gospel, uh, uh, the, you know, the letter to the Romans, in chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God, 
by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Okay, and that's what I was talking about last week, this idea of being fully presented. That the gospel is not fully presented unless all of it is presented. And so, and if you read the book of Acts, that's the way the early church grew. People would, they would go out and, and heal someone and then, uh, and then then tell them about Jesus and tell them about the gospel. And as, as you read about John's life, I mean, that's essentially what he discovered. That was why he became such an expert on evangelism. He wasn't really doing anything revolutionary. He just was doing what the gospel said, and lo and behold, all these people started coming to Christ. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, where it talks about spiritual gifts. It says this, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. And so I think from, from this passage, this writing of Paul, it's pretty clear that we were given these gifts to go out not only to minister amongst one another, but also as a means of evangelism, which again is what John really discovered. You know, we, we have these gifts, and as they started to worship, the Holy Spirit fell and really just increased these gifts among the believers in the church. And I mean, they went out, there were, you know, from what I have been told uh, from folks who were there when this was going on in Anaheim, was there would be groups of teenagers going out into the hillside surrounding uh, the city and just evangelizing, you know, healing, preaching, prophesying, doing all these things. And that's what, how the church grew so rapidly. So that's where we find it. Why is doing it important? talked about it a little bit, but let me give you some, some uh, I guess, more specific examples or reasons. I mean, I think, as we just talked about, the Bible says we're supposed to. I mean, that, to me, probably we could stop there. Um, so that's a pretty good reason to go and do something. But we can move on a little bit beyond that. I think if you were to go up to somebody and, and offer to pray with them, and whatever, you know, for whatever reason they may need prayer, whether it's they have a physical ailment or whether you sense God's told you something to tell them, um, whatever the case may be, regardless of whether or not the word mean, they tell you the word means anything, 
and regardless of whether or not the person gets healed, that person knows that you love them, that you care about them, right? Because you took the time to go do that. And that part's indisputable. There's no way, you know, you can get around the fact. And that alone oftentimes touches people. They're like, wow, you know, you cared enough to come over here to me and, and pray for me, regardless of, of what the outcome was. I think it's also an opportunity to show people that God loves them because that's essentially who sent you over there to talk to them. It was God. It's, to me, it is the way to spread the gospel. Because like I said, whether anything happens or not, what you've done by praying for somebody, by going and doing the stuff with someone, is you've put yourself in a position that the person then asks, so why are you doing this? Okay, big open door to share the gospel right then and there. And I think finally, it's, it's fun. And I, and, and I mean, really, because I know probably 90% of you are sitting here going, well, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds like me being kind of pushing my way into someone's life and, um, you know, maybe interrupting somebody, you know, bothering somebody. There's all kinds of terms, you know, for it. But the fact is, if you will do it, you'll find out just how true that statement is. Well, when should we do the stuff? Well, essentially, if you're awake, you should be doing the stuff. So that was the best, you know, when I thought about it, I thought, well, there's really not a bad time. So if you're up and awake, you can do it. Now, I'm going to take this, this particular approach was uh, something that um, Robbie talks about in his book, Do What Jesus Did. So this, if some of you have read the book, this might sound familiar. But it's, it's pretty basic, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So what he, what he does when he's going around, if he's in the mall, grocery shopping, doing whatever, he'll go up to someone and he says this, we're just walking around looking for people to pray for. What can I pray for you about? Do you have any pain or sickness? Any family needs? Do you have any job or financial concerns? So just, you know, that's a pretty, I guess, low-risk way to approach someone. It gets, you kind of get right to the point. You don't, you know, you really don't have to engage in a lot of small talk if you're uncomfortable doing that, which I can be. So being able to go right up to someone and just saying, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to look for some people to pray for. What can we pray for you for? Um, now... It's possible that someone might say, well, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't really need any prayer. Well, if they say that, then you can do this. Well, could I just pray a prayer of blessing for you right now? And the vast majority of the time, even if someone has said, no, they don't want any kind of specific prayer, their life is perfect. You know, you'd be surprised how many people's lives are perfect. Um, when you offer to pray for them. But chances are they'll let you pray this prayer of blessing. 
you know, they'll be okay with that. Well, okay. And they might roll their eyes and they might kind of give you the hurry up sort of indication. But nonetheless, there's been an awful lot can be accomplished in that short amount of time. And you'll see God touch people. Uh, another thing that you could say would be that, you know, hey, they're... they're uh, the people in my church, our pastor tells us we're supposed to be practicing praying for others. Could I practice with you for just a moment? People would say, yeah, sure, that's okay. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's a very non-threatening approach to actually um, talking to somebody. All right, so that's the who, what, where, when, why. So that leaves us with how. I need a volunteer. And specifically, I need a volunteer who has some sort of a physical pain or limitation of motion that you would know right away whether it got better or not. So, I mean, I know there's probably a lot of people here who could use prayer, and we'll have a time for that later. But right this moment, I need someone who would be able to tell if things got better. Do I have any? <laughs> okay. I think we have a forced volunteer. Would you mind coming up here? All right, now everybody back there. What's your name? Caitlin. Caitlin, okay. This is, I think, your first time here, which is why she, yeah. So her family sold her out back there. They're all, you couldn't see it, but they're all pointing at her like, like this. So that's why I said she's kind of a forced volunteer. It's okay, really. We're pretty nice people here. Um, so what's going on? What would you need prayer for? Um, I have knee pain. Okay. All right. And, and what I want to do here is we're going to pray for Caitlin here. But I'm not going to do it the way I might do it if um, somebody came up here on Sunday morning. All right. What I want to show you is that it can be done um, in, a, in a much more abbreviated fashion. So like if you were in the grocery store, you could pray for somebody right then and there. And it doesn't have to take 10, you know, 20, 30 minutes. So if you were to let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being you know, just excruciating pain and you know, obviously 0 being no pain, where would you rate what your knee feels like? Probably around 6 or 7. 6 or 7, okay. So some, some of you have been through the school understand why that's important. But what I'm going to do then is after I pray, I'm going to ask her what her knee, if she would rate it again. And then we'll see what it feels like. And, you know, if it's gone down, it may go away entirely or it may just reduce the intensity. So either way, we're going to praise God for that, right? Right? Okay. So I'm just going to pray for you. So just, right? so Father, I, uh, I want you to show Caitlin how much you love her right now by touching this knee. So Father, just, uh, just come now. Touch it, repair anything that is, uh, is not the way you created it to be. If anything is torn, Father, we pray that it would go back uh, 
together properly. If anything is bruised, swollen, out of place, Father, we just ask you now in the name of Jesus to make her knee new. And we give you thanks and praise and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so try, your, try walking or do, do something that would, would cause it to be painful. Okay, so if, if we had to say on the scale, you were like six or seven, what would you say now? Five or six, okay. Well now, in this case, what do you, do you just give up? No, we can pray again, so let's just do that. So Father, I thank you for uh, the improvement that, is, uh, that has happened here, but Lord, but we want more. We just want more of your spirit, more of your touch on this knee. So, Father, I pray you go straight to the source and the origin of this problem. Lord, whatever is there, we just command it now in the name of Jesus to be healed. Command any sort of spirit of infirmity to go in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who heals. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so try again. Okay. All right. Now, the one thing that you can ask people that, and this is another thing I learned from Robbie, is you don't have to be nice to me. <laughs> you don't have to tell me something just because you think I want to hear that you know that your knee's gotten better. If it really hasn't, then you need to you just need to say, I don't think anything's changed. They do feel better. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you for coming up here. Now, didn't go through the whole thing, but you know, that's how simple it can be, right? And you know, at the end, you could also offer some, you know, some things to uh, to Caitlin in this example that, you know, it may be that this will happen um, later on, because not all healings occur right then and there. Sometimes it'll occur over a matter of hours or days. And all of a sudden, she'll notice that all the pain's gone. And she'll like, oh, wait a minute. Um, but see, by doing that, you know, I've shown her that we care for her, that God loves her. And so, um, you know, if nothing else, then that has uh, had an impact on her. And I mean, if her knee was just like immediately healed, she would perhaps, I mean, this is obviously sort of a manufactured scenario but she may then just want to know well you know why would why would you come up to me and pray for me why would you do that and then you can tell her why you know because God loves you and wants you to be healed so here's the challenge I want everybody here to pray for one person this next week to go up to one person you don't know 
and you know whether it's in a grocery store, Target, Walmart, wherever. Just go to the one person and risk doing the stuff with them. Just ask them. Use that exact example that we showed here. You know, hey, just walking around looking for someone uh, to pray for. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? I mean, if they say no, don't push it. You know, we don't want to make enemies for the kingdom. But, um, you know, if they say, well, you, you know, then you can start to, you know, ask them about what they might want prayer for. So find one person. And so what I want then next week is we will hopefully take some time to find out what happened. And so I'd be interested to hear if you actually accept the challenge and you go out and you, you pray for somebody like this, then I would, uh, we're going to make some time next week that you can share that and uh, share what the experience was like and you know, talk about what happened and if you were able to share the gospel with them or not. If you um, need prayer for anything, whether it's a physical thing, a emotional thing, just a job-related, whatever, finances, uh, take advantage of these people. They all uh, really, really love to pray for, um, for those kinds of things. So just come up afterwards and uh, just go up to whoever God leads you to, and uh, they'll be happy to pray with you. So let's do a, a little blessing here, and we will uh, be on our way. So Father God, I thank you once again for all that you have done today, all that you are doing in the lives of each and every person that is here. Just ask that you would continue the work that may have begun today or just continue it as it has uh, expanded today. Continue to bless, continue to teach. Lord, there is so much of you that we don't know. So help us become better disciples at studying your word and knowing really who you are. Bless each and every person here as they leave. Allow them a, uh, a wonderful week, productive week. And Father, I pray that when we gather together next week, that we will have a multitude of stories of people who have prayed for someone. And there will be amazing results that have come forth from that. So bless all those who would take up this challenge. That not I, just I give, but that you give. So we give you thanks and praise, Lord, in this and in all things. And ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Bless you all. Have a great week.